Hello, and welcome to episode 34 of Kneel Before Odd. I'm Audrey Kearns, your host and creator of this fun little part of the podcast world. Let me cut to the chase. This is really a great episode. I had Brock Wilbur over to my house for some whiskey, wine, and pasta. Well, he had the whiskey, I had the wine. We both had the pasta. And then we recorded this sweet, sweet, sweet podcast. What makes the podcast even more awesome is that we recorded it just hours after Brock got engaged, and he still came over to record with me. And that's dedication, folks. Plus, I think he was just so excited to share the news of his wonderful engagement. Now, Brock Wilbur is a stand-up comedian, writer, blogger, musician, and he also has one of my favorite nerd origin stories of all time. It includes Locutus of Borg and Animaniacs, so get prepared for that. For this hour, we talk about nerd stuff, of course, growing up in Kansas, gaming, Star Wars, writing for Inverse.com, making it as a stand-up, the fallout of when he got doxxed by Gamergate, and the valiant effort he puts forth as an escort for women at Planned Parenthood. So please, please, please enjoy episode 34 of Neil Before Odd with the truly fascinating Brock Wilver. Internet, heed this call. Open your minds and ears and prepare yourselves to kneel before odd. Welcome to episode 34 of Kneel Before Odd. I'm your host, Audrey Kearns, and this is the show where I interview geek patriots. And I'm really looking forward to this episode because I have Brock Wilbur. With me and Brock is a comedian, writer, musician, and I'll say all-around fascinating person. I think you're, uh, you're fascinating. Thanks for being here, Brock. Well, thank you. It's so nice to be here in one of the coolest rooms I've ever seen. This is a cool room. Thank you. It's uh, our, op- with, our office. With one of the people running Geek Girl Authority, a great site that everyone should be checking out. If you found this without knowing what Geek Girl Authority is, oh, I'd be amazing. surprised. So I'll plug it for my fans. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Um now, here's the craziest thing to me mm. is that you walked into my door and immediately showed me a picture of your now fiance yeah. and said, this just happened. And you and you didn't just mean, hey, this happened this week. You mean you meant yeah. this just yeah. Yeah. happened. You, when you're booked for a podcast with somebody <laughs> you really respect, you show up for that podcast. It's fine. And I thank you so much for that. But so you've been having a good day. Yeah. One one of those good days. One of those good days. I'll try not to uh, bring that down. (laughs) I think the only way we could do that is if we fired up this copy of Star Wars Battlefront. Oh, yeah, we do have Star Wars Battlefront right there. And then um, my husband's uh, researching pulp... Pulp writers in L.A. I noticed he was in the Black Dahlia out in the other room. Yeah. I was like, are you just having like a night? Is this what's happening? No, no. And then, yeah, so it's a man's world. It's a very sexist uh, cover of a woman. I don't think you can see it completely, but she has her leg being dipped into poison by a Nazi soldier. Like, it's being dipped into acid. But she's, of course, wearing a bra and panties. So, you have to do that. It's good for the acid. It's good for it's good for the acid. It makes the acid happy. Have you uh, have you played the Star Wars Battlefront? I haven't yet. It my is, husband, it is not great. Really, yeah. my husband. I I got it for him for Christmas, and he did not shut himself up in the room like I thought he was going to. I didn't either. That yeah. was a, I was like, oh, this is a. There is a. <laughs> the uh, the original Star Wars Battlefront games were so amazing because you're. 
you're basically just like a stormtrooper or whatever, and you run around, and it's not just like one-on-one sort of things. Like you're there with a hundred people on your side, and everyone's fighting and stuff. So you're just sort of blending into the battle. And when you die, you come back as a different stormtrooper or whatever the thing is. And there's a lot of fun to be had in that. And this was that sort of game that for maybe 12, 13 years, everyone was waiting for the next installment because the uh-huh. first two printed their own money. And you're like, why wouldn't you make more <laughs> of that? And now this one is out. Uh, and my favorite part of it is that they worked in an element where you can like hop in a spaceship and now you're in a TIE fighter and you're shooting at people. But the controls for the spaceship stuff are so terribly designed that me, a professional video game player, just crashes into walls constantly and explodes and dies. I'm like, what is the point of giving anyone something cool if they just die when they touch it? It's amazing. Is there anything about this this new Battlefront that is that you do enjoy? Or are you pretty much blah on the whole thing? Uh, there was something kind of fun about the originals that even in that big sort of you're just a soldier on the battlefield setting, there were still a lot of strategies to be found about how to play it. And the new one is very much just like randomly, I don't know, you've been shot. Let's try it again. Uh, and it's it, it just, uh, it, it reeks of throwing a lot of spaghetti at the wall and trying to make something stick. And of course, with its release happening around the new Star Wars film, right. everyone thought... Well, there's no other Star Wars game announced. Like, is this like will we get to play in all the places from the game? And they're like, we'll give you one. You can have like the <laughs> planet where all the ships are crashed or something. I don't know. Let's uh, let's move on from that. I I had a very fun time watching uh, watching Star Wars with my family at Christmas because we were back in my hometown of Salina, Kansas, and we went out immediately afterwards and sat down at a restaurant and. Uh, we had previously tonight uh, been talking, you and I, about uh, the sort of semi-accidental racism of our families, especially yes. as they get older and they don't keep up with the new things and whatever. Uh, but we left the we left the movie and we went to a restaurant and a waitress there said, I haven't seen the movie. And my mom proceeded to do like a half racist, half oh, probably no. dead on, but also kind of spoiler <laughs> thing where she said, everyone is related I think the black guy in this is probably the black guy son of the other black guy that was in the other one. And I was like... Sure about Mace Windu or Orlando? Lando. That, that, that sent me into a spiral where I was like, no, stop. First of all, you've, you spoiled it for a waitress that just said, I, don't, I haven't seen it yet. And secondly, I was like, no... I need you to tell me the name of the only oh, black character yeah. in the original. I need yeah. you to say it. Say yeah. Lando yeah. Calrissian. I need to know that you know. Just be my mom it's for not, a minute. It's not just, oh, it was a black guy. I just remember. A... <laughs> oh, dear. There was the one. There's only one in this one. There are probably, <laughs> how many humans are left out in space? I was yeah, like, I you're, you're right. Everyone is, rela- you're, you're not wrong in what you're saying, but say it like 10% better than the words that are coming <laughs> out of you. the words you're using. Did, uh. Did she enjoy the movie? Yeah, yeah, my family my family loved it and Did you like it? I liked it a lot more than I expected to. Yeah. I I think of all the things I liked about it that I was surprised to like, I really liked that there was a third Death Star. Cuz uh-huh. when I heard that and I was like, "Oh, come on. What are you doing?" But then you watch the movie and I was like, "Oh, wow. If we had to develop another end of the universe MacGuffin thing, that would have ate into like another 30 minutes of screen time just explaining what it is. And just saying a Death Star is such a shorthand for the thing. <laughs> we got another Death Star. 
All of us here in the audience, we know what that is. Uh-huh. We know what that does. It's not great. We should try to stop it. Cool. Get right. on with your just story. Call it something. Call it Star Killer Base. Call it something yeah, so call different. Yeah, it's on a moon to. this time. It's on a moon. I get it. I Are get it. Are you a it. big extended universe person? Um, I like Star Wars Rebels, and I've read one of the novels, but I think that that's about as far as it goes. I like Clone Wars. But I haven't read all the canon. I have some friends that are really into the canon. Those people fascinate me. I'm yeah. like, ah, yeah, get into that. Uh, there's like, a, and of course, they blew up the extended universe. Yeah, uh, and like so now that um, I was, I was interviewing somebody who had uh, read all the novels in in that universe that mm-hmm. they just totally did away with, and she's like, I guess they're calling that legend now. That, that Star Wars, Star Wars legend. Good. So and, we're yes. not. No. That's not official from Disney. That's that's what the group of fans are calling it. You know, that's Star Wars legend, and then there's Star Wars canon now. I've heard from people in the company about sort of the group of people that worked in just doing extended universe stuff for like right. 20 years there, and they were like, there's a guy whose entire job it's been has been to keep track of like the map of the universe for all uh-huh. that stuff. And I just can't, I, I want to make the short film that is the day that it's they announced. It's a beautiful mind. It, that, yeah. guy's, that guy's house is a beautiful mind where it's, he has like red yarn going from one thing to another. And you got somebody else that's just how everyone's related. And then yeah. one day they just say, say in an email, like, by the way, the extended universe doesn't exist right. anymore. <laughs> and you're like, well, I've just done 20 years of make-believe then. Like, I built it up in my head that this was important. But yeah. like, uh, No, he's sleeping behind a dumpster right now. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he's totally checked out. His life is done. Or they keep those people in the same jobs and they're just like, hey, erase everything on the chalkboard. Right. Let's start let's again. Start, let's page one, page one rewrite. So, uh, Brock, I ask everybody uh, that comes on Neil Before Odd what their nerd origin story is. What's your nerd origin story? What are, either, what are you geeky about? Uh, when I was a kid, uh, me and my grandfather would watch. Uh, he, he lived across the street from the grade school uh, that I went to. And every day after school, we would watch uh, the sort of Fox cartoons and, 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 and some of the Warner Brothers stuff. Uh, and a thing that became a very big thing for me was the show Animaniacs. Oh, yes. Uh, yes which, yes, of yes. course, spoofs all these things for popular culture. But when you're like a second grader, you don't understand any of the references. And a thing that my grandfather did that was exceptionally cool was like we'd watch the episode that was all just in jokes about Citizen Kane. And I didn't know what that was. So he'd be like, okay, so we'd go down to the library, we'd get Citizen Kane, or we'd, you know, get this Edgar Allan Poe short, short story. So we, he started, it's, it's that sort of thing where I also have friends my age and younger that like, Grew up loving Weird Al Yankovic, but not even knowing the songs that he was parodying. Right. Uh, and But my version of that gets to be more of like a high art kind of thing. Uh-huh. Uh, so I, I got into all that stuff with him. And then him and my mother were the only two people in our family that had any sort of sci-fi bent. And what they loved to do was they loved to watch Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, and it was on just right about my bedtime as uh-huh. a kid. And uh, one night my mom invited me in to watch because she said it was going to be the most important episode of TV I ever saw. Like, it was one of those things where, she, <laughs> like, it was it. talked about, like, you've got to come watch the attack on Pearl Harbor. This is going to, you should see 9-11. It's going to be important. And you had important. not watched it yet. I had not seen okay. any Star Trek, and it was the episode of Next Generation where Picard gets converted to the Borg. Locutus of Borg. Locutus of Borg, <laughs> absolutely. And I remember just sitting there and feeling my head explode yeah. and be like, this is the thing I'm going to, this is all that matters to me now. Yeah. And as like a kid that was a foot taller than every other kid in grade school, as I'm sure you know. Yes. Uh, from your experiences yes, as well. Yes, from my uh, height as well. I couldn't really be bullied. So 
whereas other kids would have gone as nerdy as I went and gotten beat up at, oh, at interesting. recess, yeah. I started bringing like a toy tricorder into the class and like talking in Star Trek So you Trek were wearing speak. that on your sleeve, but you didn't have to worry about any kind of... Wearing the costumes and sometimes like a sixth grader would be like, hey, what's that dumb thing you got? I'm like, it's a tricorder for measuring the atmosphere in this room to determine if the, uh, the air is breathable. And he'd be like, okay. okay. You're like, and that's just the end of it. And like in retrospect... <laughs> there's a part of me that's like, I could have used a good bully once or twice. Like I would have lost my virginity a year or two earlier. Like it was just like, <laughs> come on, somebody could have stepped at some point. And like, this just, it, it's cool that you like it, but you can't do this all the time or, or else people won't want to be your friend. Uh, Did you stay on board uh, as you got older with Deep Space Nine and Voyager? Um, I, I actually kind of figured out uh, as I got into like high school that I had distanced so many people through having that behavior that I kind of let it go for a while, and it wasn't really until I got out of college. When you say um, when you say distance <coughs> people with that kind of behavior, do you mean that you were becoming uh, you were living in your own world of Star Trek, and that and so people were saying, "What do you mean that you?" Yeah, and it was and it was something that I thought I was correcting, but it, I, it is a personality mm-hmm. trait that I carry to this day, which I think is part of the origin story on how you become this person. Is that even when I stopped being like I'm the space guy who likes the laser battles. Uh, then I moved on to like as a freshman in high school, just listening to nothing but the band Radiohead and running a, and making mm-hmm. like a GeoCities fan page where I copied and pasted lyrics from other places to let people know how great Radiohead is, unless mm-hmm. no one else. Like it's, I, I do geekdom in that way where I fixate on something for a couple you of get, years. You get into something, you get into it, you're all in. Give it everything. And it always, yeah. in my head, it always comes back to that uh, speech in, uh, in the movie adaptation where they're interviewing the guy down in Florida who's been stealing all the plants and stuff. And he's telling, uh, the reporter, uh, Meryl Streep about how, uh, he used to be fascinated with aquatic fish. And then one day he said, fuck fish. And uh-huh. then he goes on to do something else. And I was like, every couple of years, I feel like there is that sea change or that thing that where your tastes suddenly change, uh, in the last three years, I've spent maybe 60% of all of my income on vinyl records, uh-huh. which is a huge passion for me now. And then in the last two years, Doctor Who has been the thing that I've deep dived into. With, uh-huh. in, in, I've ran a podcast about it. I've, I've, I've gone to conferences. Like I've, I've done cosplay. Like it's a, it, it, there is something that I think feels very good or maybe even triggers those parts of the brain that release the endorphins like a drug addiction or a thing to just be like, this is the thing I like now. And then to immerse yourself in it so much. And then there is a point where sometimes you're like, well, I'm not going to care so much about that now for a little while. Right. Right. Back to it. And it's nice when things like star Wars have those drop offs where they're like, I don't know. What if we don't do anything for 10 years with this, which is one of the things I dislike about the fact that now we're going to have like two star Wars movies a year, every year Mm -hmm. for the rest of time. It's like, it's kind of nice to have periods where no one's doing a thing so you that. can remember that you like it. <laughs> right, right. I, I, I totally get that. You know, is there going to be fatigue? Do you have, I mean, were you ever into superhero movies and everything? Um, a lot of people are like right now are feeling superhero fatigue, you know, with all the it's a It's a Marvel very weird movies, thing to watch happen know. with the, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe because... Although, did you see that Captain America trailer that came out Captain today? America trailer God great. Damn. Look at that. It's Spider-Man. <laughs> We've all been waiting. With dilating eyes. Did you see his eyes move? I didn't. Oh, I got to go back and check yeah. it. Yeah, it's just really quick, and his eyes kind of dilate. 
it is a it is a thing that. Uh, Are my, you Team Cap or Team Iron Man? I'm. I gotta be I'm, Iron Man. I really, I'm totally. I'm Team Cap all the way. Yeah. But I look like Bucky, so I don't know. I gotta. You look like a Winter Soldier. I do. Yeah. Uh, when the hair is longer, it is a it is a thing that a couple of friends of mine go around about is that uh, they did that thing where they announced like the next eight years of Marvel movies. Oh yeah, like a giant day. slate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, okay, so yeah. you can see that like. So Black Panther will have to be introduced in that one, and then he's got to survive to do this thing. And then there's no ending to anything anymore. It's all just this continuing narrative that has all this Mm tie-in. And there can't be any surprises. Like, you can't kill Captain America at the end of Captain America Civil War Mm -hmm. like they do in the... In the Civil War comics, I believe. Where and if they do, it's going to be just bait, right? I mean. Right. But I would love it if they had the balls to do that thing, but it just doesn't feel like, it feels like everyone that they sign into this universe is basically getting that, like, you're signed for 10 pictures and we'll just throw you in where we want to throw you in. And the the thing about it that uh, the Spider-Man thing touched on, this week has been the big deal that Jenna Malone has been cut from, from Batman, Batman versus yeah. Superman. As Batgirl, as Barbara Gordon, uh, and so it keeps leaking. It, it kept leaking that she was in the movie, and then it leaked who her character is, and then it leaked that they cut her from the whole movie, which is such an insane thing to me. And then they leak that, like, well, there's going to be an R-rated cut that comes to DVD, and her character will be in that. And today I had a, a, a big thing with one of my editors where I was like, oh, that thing is going to be the new thing that we do and I'm surprised it hasn't happened more in the Marvel universe to be like, we had this whole arc for this character, we cut it, but you're gonna have to buy the, the home DVD video or, release yeah, in order DVD. to be able to see that. And yeah. I'm like, that's it's such a cruel and awful thing that will print its own money. That I'm yeah. sure that like, and so to see Spider-Man in the trailer today, uh, which everyone had been like, where's Spider-Man in the Civil War uh, trailer? I was like, a year and a half from now, if they were making Civil War. Spider-Man would be cut from the theatrical version and be like, if you want to see that Spider-Man, you got to pre-order the Blu-ray. Oh, uh, that, that, that cynicism totally... of that thing, but it's, it, it, it would, who isn't, who isn't going to buy, who doesn't want to see Jenna Malone play back? Like it's, yeah. uh, that was, that was of everything in that movie. The thing I was most excited to see other than, uh, Zuckerberg play Max Landis. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's everything like like you know I'm I'm older than you, so so like growing up in the '80s, um, we are the same age. But you said you're a kid when you're watching Animaniacs. We are the same age. We are. Yeah. I thought Animaniacs came out when we are both 31. It's fine. Okay. All right. I'm just I was always ahead of my years. Right. I you think have that's an old what soul. <laughs> and I was always very prescient about sure. what was coming down the pike and everything. <laughs> so that's the thing. No, like so. Um, Remember, you had to look in the newspaper to see the times of the movies, and and then you, maybe you would see a movie poster, and then reviews would come out the day of, and so most of the time you wouldn't look at the review. But now mm-hmm. you get um, you get uh, key art mm-hmm. released, right? Yeah. And then you get a motion pic- a motion poster released, and then for uh, Captain America, there's a teaser released yesterday. Announcing the trailer, so there's trailer announcements now. It's just Teaser like trailer announcements are. My fa- I think it started like, with Hunger Games that I was just like, "Yeah, what are you doing?" Yeah, and it's just and and I mean, Geek Girl Authority, we, we cave into it. We cover. Oh, every we're both in the content single, yeah. business. Like the number of different 
Game of Thrones trailers oh and God. like set picks and things yeah. that I've had to cover in the last couple of weeks. I, I wrote a coverage of their Red Band trailer yesterday where I was like, I don't care anymore. Either show me the episode <laughs> or don't. I don't know what what are we even doing at right, this point. Right, right. And some people like, like I did a, a slight breakdown of the Game of Thrones trailer, but just what I saw immediately, I knew it was... Um, I would be caught in a vortex if I started to break down the trailer, you know, watching it frame by frame. So I just did what I saw really quickly. <laughs> and then... Um, my article on it was like, this is bullshit and I learned nothing. And another <laughs> girl at my site wrote a thing that was called uh, a post that was 33 things we learned from the new trailer. Yeah. I was like, I love that we can both do this because we're both yeah. being paid the same amount. And I said... Uh, <sighs> <laughs> and you uh, you went frame by frame, and I, I just I can never care that and much. I, I just don't have the patience for it. I, I can care, but then I stop. And I, I admire the people. It's like, you know, what you were saying with, with Next Gen when you're all wrapped up into it. I admire people that can get really fixed. And I do get fixated on my own shit. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about that. But it was just like, oh, man, I've got, I've got, I really got half an hour to put this post up about this trailer before no one's going to want to read it anymore because they've already <laughs> seen it. You know, so, you know, so there's those time constraints too. So it's. That is, that is such a funny thing. And it's such a, I, I, uh, I interviewed a guy uh, a few weeks ago. He runs a vinyl record mixtape monthly subscription club. He's run a music blog, like in the pitchfork vein for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And now once a month he presses up a record with a bunch of like young bands that wouldn't normally be on a vinyl record and they ship it to you and it's got mm-hmm. cool art it's called vinyl mood and he's out of the west side of town and i was like oh this is cool and i was asking him about like his uh his process of getting that blog started because i love talking to people that are in the good content game uh and he was like yeah when i first got started in like 09 uh you know we'd get an email that was like there's a new uh there's a new song released by this artist and two minutes later, Stereo Gun would have posted about it. And three minutes later, Pitchfork would have posted about it. And it's right. a five-minute song. So you're like, no one here could have possibly listened Listen, to the song yeah, by the time yeah. they put it together. He's like, I'll wait two weeks to post about it. And if in two weeks I think it's a good song, I'll post about it. I was like, that's such a cool, fun thing to do that just doesn't work in the business model for most companies. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And – um so you write for quite a few sites, but you're pretty much focused on one right now. I'm on a site uh, out of Brooklyn called uh, Inverse, Inverse yeah. uh, and they're a cool sort of thread. Uh, they do technology and pop culture and stuff. Uh, and their thrust is sort of uh, the idea of what comes next. Uh, so we would never publish like a recap of an episode of television. Mm-hmm. We would never just straight up review a movie or anything like that. Everything is about what does this mean for the future of the industry? What does this mean for the future of a of a character or a type of video game or a technology or drones or nutrition? And that's such a uh, as as somebody who who does freelance work and is out there like you know. I can wrap up an Agent Carter episode and pitch that just about anywhere right. because I don't get why. I just think people should watch episodes of TV. I don't know what that part of the content game is about. Mm-hmm. But I do like working at a place that has a thrust that is different and it makes me uh, – it, it is it is one of the first times I've worked for a site where I spend more time reading the site than I do writing for it because That's everyone fantastic. else's stuff is yeah. always so like – Oh, I never would have thought of that. Or like, how did you even score that interview? Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's a great place to be. Well, it's a very noisy um, industry right now. That pop culture content and stuff. And so it's it's really cool. Inverse's uh, take on pop culture 
and looking forward and everything. I think that's what makes them so interesting. My favorite thing to catch at places like the AV Club and stuff at this point is is when these streaming shows hit and they're like, we're going to have one critic power through it all in one day. And we're going to have another critic do it like once a week. And then we'll compare their (laughs) things. I was like... Who cares? Like it, either either you like love on yeah. Netflix or you don't. It's fine. Exactly. And I don't. That's just me. I'm just saying my daughter loves it. I don't. Um, so can we talk about love? Can we? I, ju- I, we okay. I, if you guys like it out there, fine. We got through 15 minutes and I had to turn it off. I didn't like the people. I didn't like anything about it. This is a uh, this is a spoiler alert to how it ends. Okay. Uh, which it sounds like you might not get. The, and and I'm honestly, not get there. Yeah. honestly, for a show about the small moments between characters. This doesn't spoil anything. If you're enjoying the show, you'll continue to enjoy the show. And if you don't, then you'll never get here. Uh, but the show, very, the season very much ends with uh, the female protagonist being like, I've got a lot of addictive things and I can't be in another toxic relationship. And I, I've got to go take care of myself. And the dude basically just like grabs her and kisses her and then forces her to be in the relationship. And that's how what? it ends. And when I saw that happen, I was, it, it's, it's less the rapey thing. And it's more than just like, uh, it's been a good couple of years as a straight white dude to figure out what you're wrong about. Uh, uh-huh. we, everyone is, there's so much open communication about stuff and we've done such a good job at dispelling a lot of these things about like how, like. Romantic comedies taught dudes to ignore what women want and to be right. stalkers and stuff because that's the narrative we were fed. And some of us figure out not to do that on our own. And others of us, you know, you have to be told or figure it out. And this sort of ends to a show that at times hit on being very honest and close to a different kind of experience or being aware enough to do that. To end on that note, I, I just don't know anybody that's seen that that finale and not been like, well, that's one of the grosser things yeah, I've seen. Yeah, it's a super throwback to a, an old trope. It, and it is. And there's, you know. the, around the middle of the season, there's a point where the girl kind of does it to him. Uh, but she explains even to another character later, like, she's like, I grabbed and kissed this guy last night. But, like, I'm an alcoholic and I have these issues with things. And so it's even, it feeds into setting up not so much why this would be a callback, but why this would be the worst possible thing to happen to this character and there's such a, a good moment when she's walking away and being like, I needed to take care of myself. And you're like, that character changed and grew and fixed herself. And then it just all falls apart. And if I, I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about it with anybody else because I'm, I'm anxiously waiting for everyone to get through it. Do you think I should go back and give it a try? There's, there's things in there I like and there's things that I don't. But at the end of the day, I just want to be in that place where we're out of the spoiler territory. Right. To be able to ask, did you mean to make the character that wrong? Because if so, it's great for that. And the character is certainly wrong. The, the dude is so fucking awful at so many things throughout the show. And it's it. there's a lot of weird toxic masculinity, but a lot of weird like nice guy trying to do a thing, but he doesn't understand what's wrong. And it's sometimes it's grating because I see parts of it that have been in my life before and things like that. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I've also not always been the best guy and these things have lived there and, and and so on and so forth. And if you're trying to capture that thing knowingly, that's really cool. But if you thought that this was a sweet way to end the show and that's what love is, then this is a a horrific choice that you have made that <laughs> is tone deaf on so many levels. 
That's interesting. And and how many episodes are there? They're like ten. Uh, it's a, a couple more than that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's Netflix, right? Yeah. I can't remember. We didn't. There, I might. The episode that might there. be worth watching if you watch nothing else is that they do an episode where Andy Dick plays Andy Dick, uh, and him and the female protagonist do drugs and ride the subway here in L.A. And most of it is Andy Dick apologizing for who he's been his whole life oh, and talking about his struggles with addiction and how he's, you know, he, he, he talks about real events that have happened that are outside of, that sound like they're within the, the story, but they're, they're movies that he's lost and great things that he's lost in his life because he got drunk to celebrate with the people and instead started grabbing dicks right. and, and being Andy Dick. And as somebody who has had a physical altercation in the past with Andy Dick, like it felt, it was a very powerful and bizarre, and, I, and I'm not even sure if it's successful or not, but it's an episode that I'm like, the rest of the show is a different thing. This Andy Dick episode was one of those things that Judd Apatow likes to do where you take a, a celebrity that's been maligned like he does with, with you know Adam Sandler and funny people right? and really try to humanize a thing about them. And then there's it leaves you with that part that you're like, how much of this is Andy Dick actually being sorry? And how much of this is Judd Apatow being like, I think I can write like a monologue for you that will make you likable again. Right, right. So come do my Netflix show. That, that I mean, that's fascinating because I, I, you know, I know because we know a lot of the same people and I know two people that have had weird, three, I take it back, three people that have had very strange situations with yeah. Andy Dick. In fact, I do that storytelling show, Five Truths and Lie, which you yeah. told a story at once. And for um, one of our shows, we had a couple... Um, uh, it was like some really great comedians. I won't say who their names were. Um, we couldn't believe we got them and they were going to tell a story. And this is in Venice, uh, California. And so everybody's, you know, it's hard to find parking down there. Right. It's very busy. And um, That's everybody- why I showed up two hours early to your show. <laughs> I know, right? You were on time. And, and um, a couple of our storytellers uh, showed up and their eyes were really big. And they're like, is Andy Dick in this fucking show? Is he in the show tonight? And we're like, what? No. He's like, they're like, he's running back and forth. He's right outside. And he just happened to be outside. And he knew who these comedians were and these actors were from working and was just like, what are you guys doing here? What are you guys doing tonight? You know, Mm. and I've heard many, many stories about that. And I know that he's tried to recover a few times or go to rehab and such but um he, he had a very public one at the bridgetown comedy festival two years ago where he basically just showed up and forced his way onto stage at a couple of shows and at some point they were like we're just gonna call the police man yeah like we you, just you can't stage a comeback by just grabbing the microphone out of the hands of people yeah we've, you know we've got a tight schedule here and you can't do what you're doing so that is something that you um you do a lot of stand-up, okay? Um, and that's a, a very interesting world to me because I, mm. I could never do stand-up. I'm too... Um, I, oh, come on. You're well, so good at this. <laughs> no, no. I, I, can, I can do a one-person show. I've done many one-person shows. And I, I can do sketch comedy like nobody's business. But, but um, stand-up, I haven't tried just because um, I do have OCD and not just, oh, my God, I'm OCD. I actually have... OCD and a lot of that is about. Does it trigger you when you have to watch people talk about their OCD that isn't real OCD? Yes, yeah, I don't get mad because I get it. It's like somebody saying I'm so ADD, you know. And so you know, sometimes I'll see something and I'm like, okay, but I won't say anything because I get it. But I'm just like, okay, well, 
you don't know the struggle. <laughs> no, but, um, you know, it's such a broad spe- spectrum mm-hmm. as well. You know, like I'm not a counter. I'm not a germaphobe. Sure. You know, my issues are are different. You I know, feel so, like I used to say I was OCD about stuff like when yeah. DVDs were not in alphabetical order. And then I dated somebody who had to like wash the soap in the shower once she was done with the soap in the shower. And I was like, oh, I can't do this thing anymore. But because why it, wouldn't you wash this show soap in a shower? <laughs> It's just common decency. Sure. <laughs> no, um, uh, this is what I'm apologizing for. <laughs> who I am as a person. No, no, I'm just saying. Um, I think uh, there's uh, to me, and you correct me. I mean, you do this for a living. Uh, to me, doing stand, I look at stand-ups and and improvisers, and and I think there has to be a willingness to lose some of your control yeah. over the situation because it's a more interactive experience. And um, I'm in my head a lot, so I don't know how I would respond correctly. Like if, um, mm. And I'm not talking about heckling. I'm just talking about people talking to you. And, and, and stand-up can be really personal. I mean, you're making eye contact with people. You're talking to people. Yeah. You're sharing stuff. And, and it, it, uh, it would take practice. And I always need practice with a lot of stuff. My first year of stand-up, I do a thing, and now I, I, I will catch young stand-ups doing it, and I will, I will pull them aside and tell them not to do the thing anymore. But when I first got into stand-up, because I had no one to tell me how stand-up worked or anything, I would write my sets in paragraph form in Microsoft Word, word You see, that's word. what I would do. And that's what, yeah. I would, that's what I did, too. I was like, I know. And then that way I have control. I know this is where the laugh line comes, but this is also exactly the words, and I'll just mm-hmm. memorize the thing. Uh, and then you reach the point that you get up on stage and people can tell that you're basically doing a one person show or the second that something, right. even if it's you, you like slips a little in a wording, then you're completely lost, like a record that has lost the groove and it becomes that thing. Uh, and then there's a point where you start to get into the realm of like, uh, I'm going to keep a list of ideas and I kind of know the story and I'll react to how people are reacting uh, and that can be good because it makes everything natural. But like you said, if you get up there and start into a story about something and no one comes along for the ride, it's real hard to be like, so no one no one for this one? Let's just do the next thing. Yeah, let's yeah. Just, I, let me bail here. I'm yeah. sorry about the last two minutes. They clearly weren't for you. <laughs> now, did you... Now, here's something um, I wanted to ask you. So you had mentioned earlier you're from Kansas, grew up in Kansas. Mm-hmm. Um um, that's my dog uh, scratching at the door. He's, not a bunch of velociraptors. No, no, not a bunch. And I think uh, he hasn't like punched your balls yet. Usually, my guest on the show, he punched. I got know, a little scratchy. You got, he I got a little scratchy. Yeah, yeah. He's good that way. He's sweet. He's tender. <laughs> um, so you were in Chicago for a while too, and then LA. Were you doing comedy starting in Kansas, or did that happen in LA? Did that happen in Chicago? Oh, God, I wish I would have started in Chicago. I wish I would have started So that never in happened to Los time. Angeles. I got out to LA. Uh, I got. A, I went to Northwestern in Chicago for school. So you were in Chicago for college? Yeah, I was up in, and stuck around for a little bit and then came out. Uh, when I came out, I had uh, screenwriting gigs set up. I had a, a movie that had So you went to uh, Northwestern for writing? For, for film stuff. Okay. And, yeah, and stuck around and helped make things. And I, I had some good LA connections that mm-hmm. I'd set up through internships. So I got out here and kind of had my footing here and did some writing. Uh, And between studio stuff that I was working on and indie stuff I was working on, I got into a thing where uh, something I would write or punch up or work on wouldn't get seen by an audience for between three to at one point six years. Uh, And when you go to the premiere of a film that you wrote six years earlier, 
when you were six years goddamn stupider than you are now, <laughs> and you have to sit and watch that thing, uh, it it drove it drove me insane because uh, I was like, these are things that I cared about, and these are things that matter to me. Even sometimes with the turnaround of a year, uh, which I had happen with something. Uh, I was like, wow, I think even my personal politics have shifted so much that I don't want my name on this. And, wow. I, I, and I know that if I could write it today, there are so many things I would fix and change. And uh, stand-up had always been something that I, I loved. I'd, I'd had Patton Oswalt CDs that I just put on repeat forever and YouTube clips of comedians that I loved. And uh, I'd always thought it was for me, but when I first got to L.A., I went to support a friend's girlfriend who was doing her first set at the comedy store, and I didn't understand what a bringer show was, uh, where you have to bring people in order to get your stage time. And what it amounted to was that I needed to pay about $150 between parking, drink minimums, ticket, and everything else to sit through four hours of the worst stand-up comedy I'd ever seen. And when I got done with that and realized that that was what I thought was the only line in to stand up. I was like, well, I'll never do that to somebody. Uh, and then didn't do it for six years. Interesting. Uh, and then when I started seeing like shows that like meltdown and stuff, when they started doing those and I started realizing that there's this alt comedy scene and really understanding what open mics are and stuff. Uh, I, I had two monthly shows and a weekly show within the first month of me starting to do stand up. I got into show producing. I was up every night doing stuff. Uh, and the the feedback loop of being able to be like, this is a thing that just happened. I can now go share that with an audience. And if they don't like it, I won't spend six years of my life trying to push that idea on somebody. And that felt so good. And it also felt so amazing because I had, as a kid who went to a great college and thought they had a great education, spent so much of my time in the screenwriting world writing these comedies where I was basically like mansplaining at everyone like this is actually what 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 would work as the joke here and people won't like this joke and i clearly just made up that entire thing right because uh, as soon as i got into stand-up i was like i actually don't know what anyone wants to hear uh <laughs> which uh, a big part of that was that one of my big influences that got me into it was watching a lot of those uh kevin smith like stand-up storytelling q a dvds that he released for a period there uh, which was just him going on tour and talking to roomfuls of people that loved him and telling stories from set and stuff. I was like, oh, I love this sort of storytelling thing and people will love this. Right. And I'd forgotten that he is a multimillionaire with a rabid fan base that wants to hear the minutia of his life. And when I showed up to the comedy store to start talking about my day, trying to adapt a scene from Mein Kampf into a script that I was being paid for <laughs> and how weird it felt for me to own multiple copies of Mein Kampf because the translations are so different. And then the, the Time Warner cable guy saw that I had three different copies of Hitler's book. And I had to, <laughs> like, people were like, I don't know what you're doing. Talk about dating and blowjobs or leave. I don't know what you're... We don't have time for Eddie Izzard here. Yeah. We... <laughs> the paratroopers were then... Uh, yeah, it's... Yeah. Uh, but it uh, it was such a great thing for me to have that and it taught me so much about uh, writing, about people, about humanity and a lot of my own uh, bullshit. Uh, like, uh, stand-up made me so much more accountable as a human being because I feel like... Uh, I feel like one of the things I did when I first moved to L.A. was I'd love to, like, drink and just uh, make up stories and, and, and tell them, uh, sometimes even at parties, just to see who would call me out. Oh, uh, interesting. So that, like, be, 
uh, because at the time I was also on Adderall that I was still on from college, and I did not know that you weren't supposed to mix the two, because it's basically a medicinal combination for lying. That's Uh that's sort of what it makes. And as soon as I got into stand-up, I was like, well, every time I go up, people I know are going to see the things I say, and it's in front of this audience. And so for the first time in my life, I realized I actually had to be 100% 100% honest about everything I said. Uh, and I, I, I do credit that with a big shift in my personality and who I was at that time. I was like, oh, because of the storytelling thing I do now, I actually have to be way more honest with myself and with everyone around me, even on the, the smallest level. Like you can't, like not, not exaggerating any story in any way, which is a funny thing because even when I did like your five truths and a lie show like there was a guy i was behind in line at the bathroom oh, that i remember night this yeah who i called out on stage later because he was explaining to the woman in front of me not knowing i was standing behind him like that guy's story was the lie and here's how i know he's just one of those comics that goes out there and you know he said that he went through a breakup this week but like that was probably six years ago he's like a road comic and i was like i went through a breakup i went through a breakup today and I'm at this show and I uh-huh. thought I was being open about it. that's what got under my skin I was like <laughs> call out the rest of like the star fucker story I was sharing is weird but the fact that I was honest I was like I'm in a little bit of pain and even surprising myself that I'm here like don't try to impress a girl by telling her that uh, you can see through my facade that's the most interesting thing about five truths and lie is that you know because there's that gimmick of trying to figure out out of the six storytellers who the lie is people will obsess on like one thing. So that guy was obsessing on the one thing. I don't think Disneyland is open on that day. Yeah. Like that's exactly. why they could. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's always just. So, you know, I think, you know, being an artist, being a writer, comedian, um, you know, uh, you, you were explaining quite well, you know, going up there and, and figuring out who you were as a stand up and everything. And I know um, from my experience as a writer and an actor and everything that, you know, you're always going to be open for learning. You know, sure. you're never going to stop learning. That's a fact. But when did you say, "Oh, I get this." You know, um, I I get doing stand up now and and I can go on the road with this and I I got it. I made a choice that I made as a very deliberate choice uh, because I'm a very uh I'm that guy that sits down at the start of the week and is like, these are my goals for the week. I'm writing them all down because uh, my my dad has raised me in that Dale Carnegie sort of school of things. <laughs> Uh, so when I got into stand-up, I looked at my idols, uh, people like CK and Patton and stuff, and uh, I noticed that what they all did was they sort of, uh, they toured for a year on material, and then they recorded that material, released it as an album, and then killed the material, and then forced themselves to do new stuff. Um, I didn't know what that meant to me until I'd started doing a few months of shows at the Comedy Store, and realized most every night I was going up there, I was going up with dudes that were doing the same seven to 10 minutes that they'd done for the last 15 years. Oh, wow. Like they just yeah. found their set that worked. They mm. went out there every night. They impressed some people. They got some drinks. They got 20 bucks. They went home. Uh, and for me, especially knowing what I had to go through to support my friend when I'd come to the comedy store, I'd made a pact with myself. Like if friends are going to come out to see me, I'll never do the same material twice because I don't want anyone to spend money to see me practice, which I could right. do in front of a goddamn mirror. Right. Uh, and so at the end of my first year, I recorded an album, which made so many people that don't know me so very angry because there are people in this industry that have been doing it 16 years that don't have an album. That don't have And one. what a preposterous yeah. thing for somebody in their first year to record an album. And that album that I recorded on the night of my 28th birthday called 28 Years Later uh, <laughs> with a cool zombie cover, uh, it... Uh, 
it's a fine album, but what it allowed me to do was that it killed every sort of funny, weird sort of cocktail story I had inside of me, everything I would have ever told friends at a party or something. Uh, and then the next day I had to rebuild. And so that, that next day was the first day that I had to really write stand-up because I had funny stories and I had funny antidotes and I had other bits that I'd built up. But I don't think I'd been a, a real stand-up comedian. I was basically doing things that I knew were... Inter- I was an entertaining person, right. but I was not a stand-up comedian. And then that second year... As I prepped the second album I did, uh, Crime Travel, a lot of that was having to look at at things and be like, okay, here's the percentage of storytelling I'm doing, but here's also the focus. I'm making sure I hit enough jokes to not lose anybody and to get into a little bit of the math of the thing. And by the time I did my third album in my third year, uh, I sort that's of- Nightmare Fuel? That's Nightmare Fuel. Uh, that was the album where I was like, this is the album of a stand-up comedian. The The second album is sort of a storytelling thing. And the first album is like a, a funny guy you're drinking with at a party. And that evolution is a, it's a weird thing to pressure yourself into. But through the sheer force of that and the way it made me have to grow and develop as a performer, it meant that by the time I've hit year four that I'm in now... Uh, I'm 10 years ahead of a lot of people that didn't do that thing. And that's not to say that those people don't work. Like I rarely ever hit up an open mic and I have friends that can hit up three at a night and they drive all over this city and that's their life. And that's how they develop their things. And it, some of them, it works for them. And some of them, they just do it because that's what they think the You're system supposed has to, to do. Be. That's you, yeah. I don't know. That's how you pay your, I, I, I've had somebody explain to a, to a friend of mine once before that I am not liked in the, in the comedy community because I don't, just spend enough time hanging out. I'm too busy making things. And when I heard that, I was like, what a preposterous thing. Who, who gives a shit? Like if I, I, why would I want to be friends with other people that are also not making things for the the sake of friendship? Yeah. My my husband used to work for this really big entertainment company. I'm not going to say who they were, but there was a green room involved and he was just out of call and he's like a book nerd, you know? And so on his breaks, cause you're with the people performing, Right. At all times during the day. So you get those 10 minutes, 15 minutes to yourself. Sure. And so you read his book. And when they were, maybe they were trying to tell him something else, but the, the what, what they chose to tell him that they, to give him the unsatisfactory is like, um, your fellow castmates and uh, think that you read too much in the green room and you're not a part of the conversation. It's just like, that's my fucking break. Brian, you bookworm. <laughs> you bookworm. Am I supposed to socialize on my break? You know, sometimes people, it, that's, that's, that's crazy talk. That's, I feel so bad for the person that had to say He's, that to him. Yeah. Like, I don't know how to say this. Too many books. Too many, you're too we, smart for us, man. What is that? You're Freakonomics? Making every, you're making everybody feel not smart in, in the green room. You leave your who moved my cheese at home. It intimidates us. Speaking of not smart, um, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you, just because this was a very public thing, I wanted to ask you about uh, Gamergate. It's my, my not smart thing. Um, <laughs> just because uh, you're the only... You're the, I know two people that got doxxed. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my... Girlfriends who who runs the website Legion of Leia got doxxed. Um, she's very outspoken and was writing a lot about Gamergate. Uh-huh. You know, it still shouldn't have happened. There, right. there, no excuse. I'm not saying that. But here you are with you. You're somebody that wasn't writing about it. Yeah, and 
you're you're a big gamer, but you got doxxed anyway. But my it, my doxing was very fun because I uh, wrote on a friend's sort of casual site. I, right. I, I, I on maybe three occasions interviewed somebody in the Los Angeles area because he didn't live here and wanted me to help out. I'd never written a game review. I'd never been paid for any games writing, but uh, a group of dudes. And this gets into the very fun part about the Gamergate discussion, which is when it happened, so many people within Gamergate were like, we didn't do this. It's this troll group trying to look like us. And I'm like, sure, but there is no in Gamergate, not in Gamergate on the internet because it's not like you have an official sign-up form. It's just a bunch of random egg accounts. Yeah, uh, exactly. That, you know, if right. somebody says that they're from Gamergate, that's the thing. And if that's unfair to your thing, then figure out a better thing. Uh, so uh, this group, and I've been told that they are a troll group that comes from like 4chan or 8chan or something, and and that they are their own subdivision that just likes to start shit. Uh, but they posted uh, the doxing information, the home addresses and phone numbers of a lot of people in the video game industry. Uh, and uh, my name was near the top uh, put between the editors for two of the biggest websites in gaming. So if you didn't Why know was who that? I was, it, I, it's just where they put the information or how they tweeted it out and then put it into a pay spin doc. It was just pure happenstance on a list of maybe, I would think that maybe 300 people got docs that night, but my placement in it made me seem... Like you're at the top of the... Yeah, I'm at the top of the list between two very Your big top names. five enemy. Yeah. So yeah. when you see that, you're like, if you don't, if you don't care enough to check or give a shit, uh, then it's just another number to call when you're high, or it's another email address to spam with stuff, or it's it is whatever it is. And they not only posted my phone number, but my my family's oh my uh, goodness home address and phone number, like your parents, my parents, uh, oh, my who goodness. actually got the brunt of it, uh, and uh, also like I an, didn't know an, that. a former employer of mine who'd always been a nice person. Uh, so I'd had to be like, and he was a dude with like a family with like four kids, and I was like. I'm sorry for whatever is coming your way right now. Uh, and it, the experience for me was very interesting because things got bad very quickly. And uh, I, I called the local police department because it was in this rash of things where people were getting swatted, which is where you mm -hmm. call the local police department. You say like, this person has guns and hostages and they send the SWAT team out as is just their, their they have rules procedure. for that. They have to. And yeah. they go on a shoot first, ask questions later sort of thing. And yeah. it's uh, it's happened to a lot of people that stream video games uh, with video. Uh, so there's a lot of videos of people that are just like sitting in their house and all of a sudden them I and their little that, yeah. brother are like yeah. on the floor and there's cops or yeah. people are breaking in. And it's that's a terrifying thing because if somebody picked up the joystick in the wrong way or d doesn't look at somebody the right way, you're getting somebody killed. It's actually trying to get somebody killed and think it's funny. Uh, so mine was funny cause I was like, you're, if you're on this kick about how you want to fix ethics and video game journalism or whatever the, the false front is for the thing, it might serve you to know that I have nothing to do with video games. And so I started getting a lot of phone calls. I started getting shit in the mail. Uh, my employers and my landlords started getting weird messages saying that I was like a wow. rapist. Um, well, people have time to do that shit. And that 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 always amazes me every time. I th That is not the last sort of 
weird little harassment campaign that I've I've experienced. And every time something like that happens, I'm always so amazed. Like, where do you find the time to set up these email accounts to do these things or to to do what you're doing? Uh, and, and one of my favorite things is that people from Gamergate will still occasionally find a piece I wrote on Dig about it called uh, "Who the Hell Keeps Calling Me," where I'm like. It's mostly it was mostly these teenage boys that would call me and and like call me a faggot or something, and uh, from my friend Zoe Quinn, uh, who was sort Who's of the basis of the, for this, yeah. uh, she had a, very early on started posting videos of of putting these people on speakerphone and being like, okay, but what do you want to say? Uh, and she captured this on more than one occasion, and it was also my experience. That if you started to talk to some of these kids, especially like the ones that you could tell were like kids, if you asked them questions and you were sincere with them, it often didn't take long before somebody started crying. Oh my goodness! Uh, and and to to feel that sort of like sincere problem, that sincere like longing to be loved or accepted. Uh, a, a, a thing that became sort of a trend that people like Devin Ferrasi wrote about and, and other people did was this sort of in the wake of that was this sort of like, hey, I probably would have been a Gamergate kid if I was 14 right now because mm-hmm. it's I liked the movie Hackers and I liked being a badass. And it, mm-hmm. it's a group of people saying that women are trying to steal video games. And if you don't have the critical thinking to think outside of that and you're just a kid that wants to do something fun and cool, maybe this is a thing that you would have done. And to admit like that it isn't ever really being mad at anybody involved in that so much as it is being like, I'm sorry. And it sounds like you need a friend. And like, if you ever want to call this number back and actually talk about anything, uh, then do so. And that was, that was somehow way worse than if it had just been like drunk people calling and being assholes and just repeatedly being assholes. When you realize that there was another person on the end of this phone, that was also the moment you talked to them, not like as an asshole or screamed at them, that there was a human wow. being there that was yeah. like, oh, wait, I don't know what I'm doing. What I'm doing may be bad. You know, I am yeah, really embarrassed yeah. all of a sudden. And to to meet that with a, a degree of sincere, like, hey, you know what? Um, it's cool. You yeah. can just hang up and we'll pretend this didn't happen. My feelings yeah. aren't hurt. Yeah. Just don't do this again. Like there were enough. Uh, there were certainly a yeah. few that were like nightmarish and, and ones that my parents got that were ungodly awful but every once in a while you'd get that one where it was a nice reminder that it's just like well we're all people and some of us can get confused especially kids mm-hmm. Ugh, it's a well thing. you know we're, we're we're breeding a terrible culture right now especially in the presidential race where it is a lot of vitriol and yelling and anger. everything's heightened anger yeah. gets the attention when you do hear somebody actually talk about an issue on on either side um it is can be very emotional yeah so um that must have been such a horrible weight to know that your parents were involved in it, or were they okay? Were they? My my mom took some calls. <laughs> they were very mean to her, uh, and my and she texted at one point and said, uh, "Hey, uh, if these boys are going to be so mean about video games, why don't they take away the halos?" Uh, <laughs> and when she said that. I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever heard. And so I I tweeted that with hashtag take away the halos. And it was, it trended uh, for a while on Twitter. (laughs) And I was like, I, it's such a mom thing to do. 
we'll just take away the halos until they learn to play nice. It's like, you knew just enough. It's, it's, it's Lysistrata, basically. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's a Greek play. Yes. <laughs> you know, um, so I, I knew that about you, that you had to deal with that Gamergate, which, which really sucks. And then um, I, um, I think I've, I followed you on Twitter for a long time before we ever even met. We met at a mm. show, right? Yes. I think? Yeah, we met at a friend, Joseph Scrimshaw show. And um, you've always been very um, vocal in what you think socially or politically. You know, I've, I found something very interesting. Uh, you posted on Facebook a while ago that you have been going to um, Planned Parenthood to escort yeah, people uh, in. And I just thought that was amazing. And I read I read a piece on you about that once you had put, I looked I yeah, looked it up Al and everything. Yeah, Al Jazeera covered that, which was yeah. interesting. Right after yeah. there was the Denver Planned Parenthood right, shooting. Right, and and a friend of yours said, you know, with your you know you're six five, why don't you? That's what they said in the yeah, article. Yeah, kind of. It yeah. was a a, a a friend of mine who's a stand up comic who is a, a much smaller dude was like, you're like a big dude. Do you want to come do this sometime? And I, I, in Chicago, while I lived there, I had worked as a bouncer and it was just one of those things that never occurred to me. Like, well, what does go on outside of a Planned Parenthood and, and, or, or any non-Planned Parenthood affiliated sort of women's clinic. And the, the problem that has been created in a lot of these places is that, uh, a lot of these buildings, uh, here in LA, a lot of these uh, Planned Parenthoods are kind of uh, in like a mini mall somewhere. So they're on the second floor and they've got security doors mm-hmm. and they've got mm-hmm. things like that. But as you get out into the suburbs, especially the poorer suburbs, uh, you wind up with these clinics that are just like a freestanding building with its own parking lot and all this public land around it. And any more room for of, protesters. Any sort of sidewalk yeah. or parking lot, yeah. protesters can be at. And the one that I'd been uh, volunteering at in Downey, uh, Shared its parking lot with a Chick Fil A, if you can believe it. Uh, which of which course is, if you know about Chick Fil A, is very interesting. It's a very Christian, yeah. anti-gay Mormon, yeah. thing. Yeah. So they're uh, so they always are closed on Sundays, and this clinic only performs uh, those sort of or uh, abortion services on Sundays. So that's the only day that the so the protesters know that they can park at Chick Fil A. The Chick Fil A has, has given them permission to do that. And they surround this building, and the the walls are very thin. So you have uh, groups of people screaming and singing these songs and begging people to do stuff. Uh, And the real problem becomes that uh, there is a distance to walk between the parking lot and the door. And in that sort of free space, anyone can run up and do anything. And, And with more daring groups, you can have people that try to, you know make a human wall to keep somebody out of the way or can try to start a fight because there are people that professionally get arrested outside of Planned Parenthoods because then they can spend their week being like going to churches and being like, I'm fighting the good fight. I need more money to do this thing. Like there is a career in being that kind of asshole. Wow. Uh, And I think there was just a, it's one of those things that a lot of my friends and including myself grew up very Christian. And there is a weird fear that, if we'd been just a little bit more Christian, of course, we could have been outside of that clinic with our parents, wherever we grew up doing that. And then the first time you and a girlfriend go to a Planned Parenthood and need a test or a morning after pill or something, and then they say, you know, that's all free. And if you ever want to give us a donation, it's the only time in America that you have health care covered by somebody else. Yeah. And it's this amazing, empowering feeling. Uh, and even if you it's a very interesting thing to also talk to people that aren't even sure about their politics where they're like, 
you know what, I don't know what I think about abortion or what I think about it morally or the thing, but on the very most basic level, women should be able to talk to a doctor without being attacked by somebody. Yeah. And that's and that's why whenever somebody says, like, I really appreciate that you do that thing or that they are thankful that I've participated in that before, uh, it's always felt weird to me and I've never been able to accept any sort of praise for that because it is, uh, well... No, no one should have to do this. No, this is the no. stupidest thing in the world. I just found it fascinating that, that uh, on a side note, if it wasn't for Planned Parenthood, you know, I, I they caught when I was really young and couldn't afford to go to the doctor. I get my checkups there. They found cancer, so pre-cancer. So it's just like they do ninety-eight percent of their stuff is, is you know, just women's and, health. And yeah, it, it, that was a strictly because I couldn't afford to go to the doctor, and I knew as a woman you need to be going for checkups, you know, and it's just crazy. But no, I found it interesting that that. I know you're not looking for praise for it, but but you're like, yeah, I want to, um, I want to help. And I found interesting in the Al Jazeera article. You guys should look it up. I, what should they Google? Brock Wilbur. <laughs> what's uh, left of Al Jazeera? <laughs> what's left of Al? You know, it's a very interesting article. But it never. And if you don't want to go into this, it's fine. Uh, it talked a lot about the protesters, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and that was very interesting. But they didn't talk about the actual people that you were escorting in. Mm-hmm. And and were they scared or were they? Did they have like? Did some of them have no fucks to give or? You 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 get a good. Uh, it 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 is the it is the back and forth between the two because the protesters are not like a. Uh, I guess that that was one of my biggest surprises when I first got there was that you thought like a single church has set this up and it's all these people and it isn't. There's a group of. Asian women that sing songs. There's a group of Hispanic oh, wow. people that do a thing. And then there's a group of like white dudes from different backgrounds. And a lot of them like have very different politics and religious ideologies. There's one guy that loves to scream about, uh, you know, how the Jews were a trick that Protestant pyramid build like he he's and just, that's Planned Parenthood is the place to scream about that it's evidently. people where you're just like do you know about Squarespace you can make a blog and you yep. can just put your ideas there and you don't have to come out here so you <laughs> you get to see a lot of infighting even amongst them interesting uh, which is weird uh, and some you know some of them have giant billboards that are just aborted fetuses or or what they claim are aborted fetuses which when you get like a 30 foot long like picture of a dead baby every time I see that sort of thing which they're flashing on the road uh, at the start of a series of restaurants, which I'm sure all those restaurant people love. That are that very happens. happy about that. I, yeah. It always makes me think like, where's the print shop that they went to get that at where the guy had to be like this. Okay. Good so this, let's make sure the DPI on the print on this meets our quality standards. I, I can't see. It's a little too pixelated where the eyes are. Uh, <laughs> where they used to be. Uh, yeah, it's all this oh gross stuff. So you've got them f- sort of fighting on stuff, and they love to shout at women these weird series of uh, of like lies and things that are so fascinating. And uh, for the, the group that works there uh, to, to just sort of help women get into and out of the building, there is a non-engagement policy. So no one's allowed to shout back. You're not allowed to be like, oh. you can't engage with anybody. That's that's just the thing. You pretend you can't hear something, which is real weird when you've got long stretches, sometimes an hour without a patient coming in, and it's just people standing a foot away from you yelling in your face or whispering oh, in your goodness. ear about how you're going to hell. 
so what's going through your head at that moment? Are you uh, do you ever get mad about like Mad Max Fury yeah. Road and what a good movie that and so is? You're, Lots of feminist. You're cinema. good at blocking that out. Yeah, it's. I mean, there's a lot of people from the comedy scene that are a part of that, and I think a lot of it is that those people are pretty good at at, at taking some shit and not letting it get to them, which is interesting. You know, I used to um, one of my first jobs. I, I got out here, and I speaking about healthcare. I immediately got sick in L.A. My good. lungs swelled up. I tore the chest, my chest wall from gasping oh my from God. air. I didn't have, I have asthma, you know, and I didn't have insurance and everything. So I had to like, I was juggling three jobs. I, I get a temp agency and sure. and they, they sent me to this place. Um, I can't say the name of it. It's, um, but it was right on the ocean. It was an assisted living facility. They just needed someone to pick up the phones. And surprisingly for a temp job, it paid pretty well. So, yeah. and I had a lot of, you know, I have a lot of acting experience, I had a lot of comedy experience, but I mean, nobody can organize like somebody with OCD. So I, <laughs> I'd also had a lot of office experience too. And um, so I went and interviewed and uh, they kept calling me, the temp agency said, they want you back for a second interview, a third interview. I'm just like, oh, this is a temp job. Why am I going back? You know, but it turned out they were, it was th- this facility that was run by really rich people. They were crooks. That's a story for another time. <laughs> um, and this woman was running it and she didn't know who to hire between me and this other woman. And finally, I was in the office, and she's interviewing me for a third time, and she just throws her hand up in the air. She goes, you've done, it says here you've done sketch comedy. I was like, yeah, I did a sketch comedy group for like six years in Florida. She goes, well, then you have a sense of humor, so you're going to understand these old people, so you have the job. <laughs> you've was- done sketch, so you understand the elderly. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah. It was like, she's like, you got a sense of humor, you'll understand old people. I don't know. It's also know. the first time no. sketch comedy has ever gotten somebody a real world job. I know, right? Right, but it 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 did. You know how to do a blackout scene? Great. These old people fall asleep all the time. <laughs> so when I when I throw my hand in the air <laughs> in a down motion, that and means blackout scene. and scene. But yeah, I got. <laughs> Tell I, me where you think you are today. That's the improv <laughs> of the elderly. But but I think sometimes um, that you were saying a lot of people from the comedy circuit are doing that, and you do need to have a certain sense There's of humor, a thickness, that you thickness need, yeah. and. And a cynicism as well, you know. The the only time I ever broke the non-engagement thing was that there is a, that guy that I've mentioned before that loves to shout about yeah. how the, the Mormons made the continents divide and all these things. And you're just like, come on, man. He, uh, he worked at, he's a Chick-fil-A manager. He has to be. <laughs> uh, and he's a dude that does this professionally. Uh, and one at one point there were... Normally there's a like a woman walking in and we're escorting her and this guy will love to shout nonsense things like uh, it's that last ditch effort of if you don't abort the baby, we'll buy you a house and that sort of thing where you're like every oh, time wow. I hear it, I'm like, tell me about this free house yeah. that you have sitting around. So yeah. I see the baseball hat you wear every week. I don't think you have a free house. Uh, oh, my but goodness. But at one point... <laughs> He, he has all these monologues prepared for just everything and all these lunatic, lunatic ideas. And maybe my third or fourth day volunteering, uh, there was one woman walking towards the entrance that was being escorted. And then there was a second woman coming from the other direction that was also being escorted. And what came out of his mouth, I can best describe as like he just saw too many opportunities and it shut down because what he shouted at them instead of his normal very calculated, very long-winded, like, I'll, I'll keep shouting this even after you've gone to the building with a list of reasons why. It, it, it just stopped. He shouted, ma'am, there are so many things you can do instead of having an abortion today. There's adoption. There's 
and he held up like a second finger stuck on point. I've seen the speech before. It goes up to seven, but he got to two and he blanked for at least 10 seconds, 10 solid seconds. And I'm standing directly in front of him. He's shouting this over my head. I'm not supposed to engage. After that 10 seconds, both women are through the door. They're already gone. And for his second point, he shouts, other things. <laughs> and I, ju- I just lost it. I, I doubled over. I was laughing. I just turned around. I was like, come on, man. <laughs> like, <we're, laughs> I, yeah. You would <laughs> fail at the comedy store so bad. I just felt so bad for him. I was like, you, you give so many hours of your life to come out here and shout this nonsense. And you had that, you had that rare golden double opportunity. You had two people. <laughs> Other things. Oh, man, you couldn't have blanked harder on like, your rhetoric. He has one job. He's one of those guys. You, yeah, have you had one, one job, job, Phil. <laughs> so um, so are you only... So that was on Al Jazeera where I read that. Mm. It, um, are you only writing for Inverse now or are you writing for anybody else? Where, where can people find oh, what I, you write? I get to write all over the place. I'm writing for a, a new uh, video game company out of Santa Monica called Zam. Uh, getting to do some very fun things there, getting to write some very personal pieces about uh, interacting with games over there. All over the internet, anybody that wants to hire me, please get in touch. I love love to write for weird new places. You want to write for Geek Girls already? We've got... I always want to write for Geek okay. You know what a fan I am. All right. Well, this 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 whole hour has been your interview. This was a job interview. <laughs> you are hired, my friend. You are hired. Um, what's your? What, what's, I think I know somebody else that's a better fit. So that's oh, a, wait a minute. <laughs> um, what's your favorite thing about LA? Uh, One of your? I mean, I'm sure there's many. Every, anything you want to do any night of the week is here. Uh, as a kid that grew up in Salina, Kansas, driving weeknights with my dad three hours down and three hours back to Kansas City to catch small indie bands and shitty smoky clubs. Your dad took you to see bands? Me and my dad love a lot of the same music. In high school, we would drive down to see, we went to see a band called Interpol the night before they played Conan. And there was like eight people in the room. And we were like, everyone here is very thin and attractive. And just me, a high school school sophomore, and my 50-year-old father, a banker, uh, who is not dressed to be cool. It sounds like your parents were... um Super open to art and uh, storytelling and everything. I mean, what you said about your grandfather about, you know, hey, we're watching Animaniacs. You should know about <laughs> Let's Citizen, watch Citizen Kane. Kane. I mean, that's, that, that's Which amazing to me. Which is a weird pitch to give a kid. Like, you I, like these animated dogmen? <laughs> I love it, though. And, and if one of my parents came in and said, this is the most important episode of any television series that you're ever going to see. And she took me in to see Locutus of Borg. <laughs> I mean, and now your dad takes you to see indie shows in Kansas City. Yeah, pretty I mean, good that's, that. pretty, that's pretty amazing. So to grow up having to do that sort of thing just to see culture, uh, the fact that I can pull up a calendar on some blog and be like, there are eight bands in town tonight playing bars that I can get into for free that are walking distance from where I live that I years ago would have killed to see once. Like there's that, there's art. You still go see a lot of music? I see a lot of music. I've been doing a lot of theater lately, especially a lot of like immersive theater where there's just things happening around you and you wander room from room at your own pace. Like that's a, there's a big, that's a big thing right now. Yeah. A lot of interesting things happening there. Uh, yeah, there's uh, comedy is, of course, great out here. Uh, LA's a great town. I've been here 14 years now, and, and my husband and I realized, I was like, oh, my God, it's the longest we've been in, 
anywhere. Sure. Like even where I grew up, we were never in a place that long. So I'm like, oh my God, I am a Los Angelina now. I, I, I do. And I, I love, I do love this town. It's like, we were talking a little about my husband's fascination with Pulp Fiction writers in LA, but it's a very, LA is a fascinating town. The history yeah. is fascinating. Everything is fascinating. It and really most is, of it is Ameri- manufactured. Yeah, which is so that. America. That's the thing is, it's like, it's so American, you know? New York actually has a history. Los Angeles has stories. So it, many stories. Good stories better. though. But, but, the stories came from somewhere. You, you listen to uh, You Must Remember This? No, I do not. It is a great podcast about the forgotten history of Hollywood. Uh, the woman that does it just does these incredible deep dives into things. She does 10 episodes on like the rise and fall of MGM or, or various people that were bound by relationships. Or uh, there is uh, there's an incredible season that she does that's just everything that was happening in Hollywood around the Manson killings, like what led oh, to wow. it and what happened during it and what happened after it. Uh, and it's, uh, it is, I don't listen to that many podcasts, but it has become that thing that every time I have a road trip now, I'm just like, let's load up a dozen episodes of this show. Cause I can't wait to learn. And everything in Hollywood is so it's a, it seems like a difficult show to research. So a lot of things she really has to present like Here's one version of the thing, and then here's a different, like, biographer's version of what was happening in this time. Right. Uh, especially, like, 30s and 40s sort of golden age of Hollywood stuff. You're like, well, I don't know who to believe here. Everyone's dead. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, well, thank you so much, Brock, yes. for, for, for being here. Um, speaking of this podcast, Brock Party. Brock Party on the iTunes. Uh, you can find me at Brock Wilbur on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And I highly recommend following uh, Brock on all the social medias, especially Twitter. You're you're a joy on Twitter. Come read my work on Geek Girl Authority. Yeah, it's it's coming up. You'll, you'll see it. Uh, <laughs> you, you'll you'll see it this month. But thank you so much for being thank my guest the, for oh, Neil Before God. Odd, and thank you for kneeling the whole time, man. It was it was hard for someone of your stature. I said six five earlier, but then I remembered it's six seven, right? When you're kneeling, nothing matters. Nothing matters. I come from a tall family. I'm the shortest one. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Supplicants, you may now rise. The merciful odd has chosen to spare you. Please exit the internet to your left.